0: So this is a theme that we've been using over the last couple of months, and we're going to move into the uh, second section of that at the end of August. What we have been doing has been diving deeper into stories. And then in September, we're going to uh, expand our understanding of some different topics by asking questions. So that's kind of where we're going. Uh, Today, what I want to do is I want to Uh, Take a look at this story that I just read for you a moment ago, uh, Jesus and the Rich Young Ruler. Remember we said as you dive into the stories of Scripture, there are different levels. So there's kind of the surface level, you know a little bit about the story, some of the main characters, that type of thing. Then you can kind of go at a swimmer's level, you begin to look for life lessons. But sometimes a story really doesn't pop until you do a scuba dive. And as you do a deeper dive, you go, oh, maybe this is what this story is all about. And I think uh, that is especially true in this story that we're going to look at today. So you can see on the screen here that it's out of Gospel of Mark. That's where we're going to be. But the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew and Luke, also have the same story, but there's differences between them. I'll point those out in a moment. So, when you look at a story, one of the things that I think you can also do is see the purpose of a story. Number one is a story can inform you about a certain topic. So, you glean some insight into something because of a story or an analogy or a metaphor. Secondly, a story can kind of initiate certain actions. So, remember the story of the Good Samaritan when a, someone comes along. And help someone that is need, Jesus says, go and do the same thing. Follow this example. And this story is to help initiate that action. And then lastly, uh, stories can also kind of investigate our own attitude toward different topics. And that's especially true with this story about Jesus and the rich young ruler. But what do we want to learn from this? Well, first of all, when you look at this story, you might find you're confused about a few different things that Jesus includes in this story. And what is with this very extreme metaphor about a camel going through the eye of a needle? It seems a bit strange, doesn't it? So let's investigate that a little bit. The story of the rich young ruler has the potential to do all three of these things. Inform us about something, initiate Action and then investigate our own internal attitude toward a very important topic, and that is the amount of things we possess. Okay, now that gets a little bit threatening because you know how we are when it has to do with our possessions, we are very possessive and and we guard those type of things. And this particular story has often been used to talk about stewardship, community responsibility, and even asset management. But before we get there, let's uh, understand the story itself. The story, and in the Gospel of Mark, gives us an antidote about a rich young ruler. Now, what's interesting, though, is the way we get that title, the rich young ruler, is not from one particular story. You've got to put all three stories together, So Mark says, a man ran up to Jesus and asked him a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Whereas Matthew says he's a young man. So this isn't someone that's in hospice waiting to die, right? You know, this is someone that's very young and has a lot of vitality. And then Luke says that he's not only a young man, but he is also a ruler. So he has some political clout that he's someone that has a very important position in uh, the society. So when you take all these three stories together and you put it together, you go, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him a question. And the question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a, a particular obstacle that we need to get over. When we read eternal life, We automatically think, after we die. What happens after we die? Now, this is a story of a rich young ruler that is familiar with Old Testament Torah, and he is not coming asking, what must I do to have eternal life in heaven after I die? The Hebrew uh, mindset in the Old Testament does not tell us a whole lot about the afterlife. It just doesn't. For them, eternal life has to do with the life of the ages to come. That's a better way of kind of describing eternal life. The life of the ages to come. What will the future look like? How can I be in a position where uh, I am able to obtain the best life possible in the ages to come? So that's the first thing we need to get over. The other thing is... Jesus automatically goes back to the Ten Commandments, and he says, well, have you been doing these things? You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't get false testimony, don't defraud, and honor your father and mother. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the first five commandments talk about our... Uh, vertical relationship with God. The last five commandments have to do with our horizontal relationship with other people. Okay, so Jesus doesn't mention the first part of the Ten Commandments, also called the Decalogue. What he is talking about is the horizontal. How do we get along with each other? How do we treat each other? That type of thing. Okay, so he says, "Here's what I want you to to do: Do these things. Don't murder." That's obvious. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. But then Jesus changes something. In the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, it says, Do not covet. Jesus changes that to say, Do not defraud. That's an interesting change. So why does Jesus make this change? Hang on to that for a second. I think there's a reason for it. So eternal life has something to do with, with a soul connection to a living being, God. And this whole story is about what our soul is connected to. Is our soul connected to God? Or is our soul connected to goods? You know what I'm saying? Possessions, that type of thing. So here's this rich young man. And he, he has a void in his life. He feels like he's missing something. Uh, and Jesus says, well, here's the one thing you lack. And he says this to the man. He says, and I love the way verse 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. It doesn't say Jesus is criticizing him. He's just uh, saying, here's the one thing that you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, the first thing that we think is, oh, Jesus is trying to make him a pauper. Go sell everything you have. But it doesn't say give everything to the poor. It says give to the poor. That's an important distinction. Okay, And what he is saying is, okay, then come, follow me. We'll have opportunities to live the best life possible. Now Jesus is telling him that what he needs is not more things. He doesn't need more things. He is an individual that lacks one thing, but it's not a better car. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not a another vacation. It's not these type of things. The one thing he lacks is seeing his soul connected to his possessions. And then what we're told is that he doesn't want to let go of anything. He wants to keep it. He wants to hoard it. He wants to make sure that he is in a position where he doesn't lose any of these valuables. So Jesus is basically telling him, you need to refocus. Now, we're not told the man's name, but we need to refocus here. Now, unfortunately, the story doesn't have a happy conclusion. The man is very wealthy, and his countenance falls, his face falls, as the text says, because he had great wealth. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Again, Not talking about how to get into heaven after you die, it's talking about the life of the ages to come, it's talking about how can you live your best life now. And then he uses that metaphor of a camel, that's found in all three gospels. The image of a rich young ruler, he is designated as a camel, he is the camel, are you following what I'm saying? That can't fit through the eye of the needle. So the questioner wants to know what's required for eternal life, and he has everything that he needs to live the best life possible, but he doesn't want to loosen his grip on what he has. Now, Jesus says, give to the poor. He's not saying basically liquidate everything so that you become a monk. What he is saying, though, is sell everything. And when you sell something rather than just giving it away, it forces you to put a value on something. So think about it for a moment. You have, you, know, you have an extra something, and somebody else needs it. Hey, I have an extra, you know, here, go ahead, take it. But if you were then to say, okay, I only have one of these items, and I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to have to figure out what this is worth... So you have a car, a lawnmower, whatever it may be that you want to sell, and then you go, oh my, I paid X amount of dollars for this, right? And if I sell it, I need to get X amount of dollars out of it to feel good about it, right? So when you're forced to sell something, all of a sudden you go, oh, I didn't realize how much that is worth, I just kind of took that for granted, therefore... I don't want to let go of it. I mean, I've had it a long time, it's valuable to me. It's grown in worth if it's something that's collectible, that type of thing. So what Jesus is forcing him to do is to think about putting a value on everything that he's holding tight and then said, liquidate some of it. Liquidate some of these things and give it to somebody else. Give it to the poor, give it to the needy, give it to those that don't have as much. The guy couldn't lo- loosen his grip, right? So he turns and he walks away. As he walks away, Jesus then uses this image of a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, this is an interesting image that he is using here. Um, he is an individual that seems to be at a position where he can't, he can't make any progress, He's too big. He's too full of himself to make any progress. So that's a good way of looking at this. He's a camel that has the two humps, and in those humps, if you will, is everything that makes him who he is. That's where he gains his self-esteem. That's where he gains his significance. And money has a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? has a way of saying... I'm more important than you because I own more than you do. Well, Jesus says, you're going to have a hard time having this type of life that you're looking for. A better life, an important life, a purposeful life. Now, why wouldn't he do do that? It says he had great wealth. Why wouldn't he just liquidate a few things? (coughs) Because he is a ruler. Now, the term is used here uh, for someone that has official business. Someone who has administrative authority. Now the minute that someone that has that type of power, there's other people that are going to get all over him if he changes the system. All right? So think of a business right now. You own a business, and if you uh, don't make the ultimate amount of profit that you can, your shareholders are going to be quite ticked off. Right? So anybody that's connected to that individual that says, hey, you know what? I get, I'm making plenty of money. I'm living a good life. I don't need to overcharge. Or as the word Jesus uses here, I don't need to defraud other people. Okay. So that's very important to understand. Jesus is saying, don't defraud other people, don't take advantage of other people, don't use people to puff up your profit and then allow these other people to become poor and needy and unable to make a living. But it seems to me that this is a part of who we are as individuals. We put a value on something, we put our significance on something, and then we can't let go of it. And when we do let go of it, we might have a tinge of sadness because, oh gosh, I let go of something that means something to me, and, and that uh, type of thing. Worse yet are those type of individuals where what I do have is not enough. I need another and another and another. And that becomes very... Um, tantalizing if you will it you know it's the next purchase it's the next item that will give to me the significance that i'm longing for so jesus changes the word do not covenant, to do to not to do not defraud to covet is an attitude to defraud is an action okay You can have the attitude, I'm not going to covet my neighbor's um, car, house, job, you know, those type of things. But then when you start to move into a situation where you're trying to control and manipulate other people and defrauding them to your own advantage. So here's all the pieces, and here's how it's going to fit together. This is a rich young ruler who doesn't want his system to be upset. He wants to control his system, and as he controls the system, he is assured that he can use the system for his own advantage. So the key question in this whole story is, do we value profit over people? Okay? That's a very dangerous way to live. When you value profit over people, especially if people are in some type of business and they value profit over people, and that business then takes advantage of other people, overcharges them, uh, whether it's interest rates or whatever it might be, well, you are taking some of that eternal life, that idea of connection to God away from someone else but that's how our eco- economy works, isn't it? The, the people that have, have more, right? That just seems the way it goes. The more have more, and the poor get poorer. So the key question I think Jesus is asking here is, what do you value? Do you value people more than you value things? So this is about how money is manipulated and then how money sometimes gets in to uh, different regulations. You know, think about the train derailment down in East Palatine. You know, it was deregulating things that could protect, whether it's the amount of employees on the train or when that train was last inspected. And then all these people are affected by the fact that they didn't have the right pieces in place to make sure this type of accident didn't happen. Well, they still don't want to change things, right? So this happens and we don't, why? Because the train industry wants to make maximum amount of profit. They don't want to be burdened by all these regulatory things, but every time a train goes down the tracks without good oversight, another wreck and another spill can happen. You see, You're, you're putting profit over people. And when you do, uh, when you look and see how much profit is being taken in by that com- uh, company, you kind of go, well, how much is enough? Well, we made a billion dollars in profit. Well, isn't that enough? No, no, no we can make two billion dollars in profit if we didn't have to pay for this or that, right? So you see, Jesus doesn't just tell these stories out of the blue for no reason. The stories are connected to real life, and the real life situation is that money seems to be that which holds us back. It seems to be that which has its claws in us. And all Jesus is asking this young ruler to do is to loosen his grips on this. He's not asking him to come a, become a pauper. However, the text goes on and tells us how the disciples reacted. So let me read that again. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Who is the one that can actually attain this kind of life? He says to them, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. In other words, the type of life that you're looking for is possible even as you loosen your grip on those uh, things that give to you what you think is a good life. And then... Peter speaks up. Peter always has the ability to make the comment that we are all thinking, right? He opens his mouth. And here's what he says, we have left everything to follow you. He, they walked from the fishing, away from the fishing business. And Jesus said, no one who has left home or brother, sister, mother, father, children, or fields, or in this case, boats, <laughs> you know, because most of them were fishermen.'" will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and then into the age to come. In other words, Peter, trust me, you made a commitment, and I know it's it's a, a huge commitment, and it's very costly in your mind, but Peter, it will be worth it. Trust me. In the end, it will be worth it. So this very strange story is one that I think has the power to upset all of us because it has the ability for us to investigate our own attitude toward things. So just kind of a side note here before I uh, end the message. Is Jesus actually talking about a camel here? Well, in Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke, the word that is close to a camel is a rope. Like a thick rope. So scholars, they kind of debate on, is Jesus talking about a camel or is he talking about a rope? Because they're very closely spelled. So uh, camelon versus camelon, right? But I think either way, whether you're talking about a camel or whether you're talking about a rope, it's, the difficulty is still the same to get through an eye of the needle. That, that's the main point but I like the image of the camel because it really spices the story up, right? Uh, okay, uh, and wealth has this curious effect on the human heart. Money and possessions are, so, uh, are um, sources of social injustices. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this story, where money is taking advantage of other people and using this idiom of a camel in the eye of the needle is a way of speaking about using your position. And this young man here had the ability to kind of control uh, the masses through regulations and other things like that. So money and possessions are gifts that are given to us uh, from God, and we get those resources through hard work. Um, The Bible never says money is bad. What it does say is that the roots of all kinds of evil is found in money. But money itself is not a bad thing. Uh, We don't see any prohibitions in the scripture about earning, using, and saving. Where we do see cautions are things like Proverbs 21.20 where um, the writer says this. He says that the wise store up choice food and olive oil but fools gulp theirs down. In other words, the proverb is saying it's so easy just to consume, 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 but the wise know how to save, know how to plan, know how to budget. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so wealth is a ferocious master, but it can be an excellent servant. And um, I think when money is mismanaged long enough, uh, it distorts the gifts that God gives to us. Remember Psalm 24 verse 1 that we began the service with. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And God has given us those things to be able to be uh, gifts that are enjoyed. So as I close here this morning, I, here's what I think the, the, the idea is. The point of the story <clears throat> is inviting us to a serious consideration of the ways in which our society engages or disengages the power of money for social responsibility. Two, eternal life has the idea of alignment with our, our life with uh, the existence of God's life. Three, who can be saved from the perilous obsession of wealth manipulation? Well, what is impossible with men is possible with God because God has the ability to change our heart. So, powerful story, right? Hopefully you have a little bit better understanding of it. And Jesus invites us uh, with this last comment in verse 31. Many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. Think about that in relationship to money. Those who had it, lose it. Think about athletes and others who have... excuse me, millions and millions of dollars. And by the time they're done with their career, they don't have a penny left, right? And think about other people who have a way of um, of budgeting and saving and putting a priority on people rather than using people. Well, in the end, they have a legacy that they can hand, hand off to other people. So I'm inviting you now to stand and I will close with prayer and uh, just kind of look at this story again and dive deeper into it. And I think you'll find that it could solve a lot of issues that we have in our own day and age, right? If we could put money in perspective the way Jesus did. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the time that we had together here today. We thank you for this powerful story of Jesus we thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for what we can learn through wrestling with this story. We pray, Father, that you'll give us balance, that you'll give us uh, the ability to put people <coughs> excuse me put people ahead of profit. Guide us, Lord, and guide our leaders in our country to value its citizens over consumption. And I pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Sorry about that. I've been having a hard time this morning. Have a great week, everyone.